So my wife says it all the time, and it's beautiful. She, she always says you can't have a testimony without a test. Kind of feels like the biggest responsibility I have in my world right now is trying to be an awesome parent. Really, I believe forgiveness is more for us than it really is for the other person. I kind of firmly believe that everyone is capable of and deserving of empathy, but I do believe it is a muscle that you have to exercise. The full quote is, if you come to a great chasm in life, jump, it's not that far. Because I feel like you never really stop growing. And if you have stopped growing, like you're already dead in the water. You know, stagnation is synonymous to death. You are now embarking on the imperfect experience. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Imperfect Pod, where we discuss masculinity and manhood more intentionally and purposefully. This week's guest is Lee Everett. Lee is someone who at the early age of four years old was diagnosed with OCT and told by many doctors that due to his diagnosis, he would struggle to function in society. You know, this conversation with Lee, it does take a very mental health approach, mainly because that is something that he's gone through his entire life. We also talk a little bit more deeply about masculinity, some mindfulness tricks, and I really hope you enjoy this week's episode. Um, he also runs a podcast called Who's Behind the Mask, where he goes into understanding people more deeply and these identities that we seem to cover ourselves with that aren't really the real people that we are. So I definitely recommend that you check out his podcast as well. It's called Who's Behind the Mask, but we're gonna get into this week's episode now, and I really hope you enjoy. All right. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in again to Imperfect. I'm here with my guest, Lee, as you kind of heard in the intro. But Lee, you know, the first question I always ask my guests is, who is one person, dead or alive, that you'd like to have over for dinner? And what would you cook for them? Oh, that's a good one. You know, I, I think I would have um, my mentor. Um, he was a relative of mine, Dan. He passed away a few years ago. And uh there's a lot of things we still needed to talk about and, and needed to discuss. And I, so I definitely would love to have him over and come over and catch up and pick up on a lot of things we didn't really get to catch up on. And, and really the questions I really didn't get to ask him at the time that I, I wish I should have, you know, when he was alive and what would we eat? Probably had some sushi, man. I don't know if I would cook the sushi. So if I got to cook, I would, um, Probably do some chicken on the grill. Can't go wrong with that. I love to grill. Not a big cooker. But if we don't got to cook, we'll go with the sushi. And yeah, it's, it's interesting. You said it's a family member and a mentor, and there were some questions that you wanted to ask him that you didn't get the chance to. So was he a mentor in terms of who you are as a man? Or like, what were some of those questions that you want to ask him? Yeah, he was he was a mentor in all aspects of my life. It's It's weird how I came into my life, and it's weird like our first story together. And I can share that if you'd like, but he, um, he, he, you know, he mentored me on life. We were both technically diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder. And he had actually hit like a mental breakdown. He had been institutionalized, really successful, um, had done a lot of things in business, but he um, had just hit a breaking point. So we were able to connect really on that wavelength and, and really truly understand one another's minds. Really what I'd want to ask him and talk about is kind of the things that I'm into now and that he was alluding to because back then, you know, he was, he was somebody that was really big into studying the universe, religions, politics, in the sense of like just knowing what was going on globally, both esoterically and just everyday life. 
So there'd be a lot of questions I would have for him around that. I always had my suspicions that he was in the CIA or some other organization like that. So I'd, I'd have, a, I've got quite the laundry list of questions to ask that man. Mm-hmm. And and so that that spiritual aspect, that esoteric or what I forget the word that you used to describe that. Yeah. So like I, I've noticed that in just our relationship, how you seem to be very invested in the, I guess, spiritual aspect of the world and how it all kind of works together. Um, where did that interest come from? Was that something that he inspired or I, a lot of people are kind of shifting to that. So I'm really curious in, in how you identify with that. That's a, that's a good question. So him necess- to answer the second part, he necessarily didn't have a huge impact on that. Um, I think it lit a fire after he passed to kind of like reignite that journey because I had started it, hit it, hit like a major depression a couple years ago, kind of got away from like feeding myself mentally, physically, spiritually, all of that. And then once he died, it really reignited that journey again. So I guess in a sense, indirectly, he played a huge part because I think, you know, if, maybe if he hadn't a passed, right, then I wouldn't have picked up where I had left off or the things that are or were happening wouldn't have happened right but what what ignited me on it really is always having a lot of questions from being diagnosed at a very early age with obsessed compulsive disorder at duke i always asked questions just because it was just a part of who i was and just part of that obsessiveness and then the compulsions acting out on that which really you know any mental health diagnosis you're you're not that diagnosis right you're it is you you're not that label and i'm sure we'll get into that but for the spiritual side, it just, I had so many questions. I was raised in like a two stoplight Southern Baptist town um, and just asked a lot of questions around religion. Always felt like, you know, those questions weren't answered. And so it really spent me, sent me down like almost this atheist path. You know, I kind of call my life the pendulum swing because I've been able to experience the extremes of a lot of things on both sides. And so I went down this atheist path, which I also discovered wasn't very fulfilling and lacked a lot of things and didn't answer a lot of questions. Um, And so just being on the journey I've been on and just always feeling as a young child, there was more. I just kept on and kept on and kept on and asking questions. And that was what led to the more esoteric, you know, teachings and knowledge, which, you know, that is esoteric is basically just hidden knowledge. You know, that's what you see from a lot of the occult groups is this hidden knowledge about the universe, how the universe operates, you know, teachings about God and goddesses and energies and spirits. And so those things just really intrigued me because it taught me that reality is a lot stranger than fiction. And so we've got all these things around us that are very much real that we can and cannot see, but we can feel in certain instances. So it just sent me down that journey and it just, it intrigues me because I think it's how we better our our community and our world but it's also how we better ourselves is really just unlayering those pieces um and just that self-discovery and spirituality in a sense has a very much a big part of that you know coming from source or the universe or the or the one oneness you know we're we just have to figure out more about our soul and try to undo what's been done society and you know just through our our upbringing yeah i think that's really interesting that because I also come from that very Christian background or religious background. And for myself, I've always been someone that's asked those questions as well. And I never really felt satisfied by a lot of the answers. So I've never really shifted to full atheism. I think they call it agnostic. Uh, That's probably like the best term for myself. And I've kind of explored the spirituality sense. Like I don't meditate. I don't because 
I guess I don't really have a reason for not meditating. I'm trying to get into it a bit more. Um, but definitely with the spirituality of everything, I, I do agree that there is like this core idea that kind of unifies a lot of people or the spiritual sense that should bring people together more than we're brought together. And that, that right now is, a, is the biggest pet peeve I have with society, whether it's politics, religion, anything is it's it's missing a lot and it's missing one core thing and i don't think atheism provides that and i don't think any real core religion provides that so i think it's really interesting that that you've always been a question asker as well because i think that's how i would identify myself when it comes to even day-to-day processes at work or religion or or myself i'm always asking questions yeah and the spirituality part doesn't have to be you know anything that's outside of you it's really what's inward you know and that's the whole point of meditation anything and there's there's so many other tools and that, you know, that's the double-edged sword about it becoming so mainstream because it can cause people to feel even more lost in a sense, right? Because you really don't know where to start or what to do, or, you know, you see all these things, but I mean, there's so much, man, you know, there's breath work, meditation, plant-based medicines, like psychedelics, you've got like the laundry list goes on to how you can just, the whole trick is just self-discovery, you know, how we can better ourselves. And then once we fill our cup up, that's how you're better, you know, spouse, brother, husband, dad, father, you know, whatever that label is you have in society is by first bettering yourself. And that's how you impact the world. Mm -hmm. And you talked a little bit earlier about identity and how you don't label yourself as OCD. You are a person, but you're beyond the label. You know, just through knowing you, you've talked a lot about masks. And that's something I definitely wanted to go in with you as well, because there's the mask of masculinity, which obviously underneath has a lot of masks. But why are those identifying those masks, taking them off, I know, I know you had a post go really viral the other, the other day um, about this whole mask theme. So why are those masks so important to you and identifying them? The basic answer to that is it's because it's not us, right? You know, it's like Shakespeare said, we're all actors playing a part on stage, right? And, and to a degree, we're all acting in some way. But the further all we are from ourselves, the more issues we, we cause. We cause dis-ease within ourselves. Not only dis-ease physically, but emotionally, you know, so the further it creates that cognitive dissonance because we ultimately don't know who we are because there is so many masks and layers. And so what I experienced as a child and so, you know, when I, when I was young and they diagnosed me with OCD and then a laundry list of other things, they gave me the wrong medication, almost gave me a heart attack and then almost killed me. So that sent my mom in a completely different direction. Like, okay, maybe medication is not the right route, but her biggest thing that she was teaching me as a child is for one, you're not your thoughts and two, you're not your diagnosis. And so I live on the surface, you know, outside looking in an everyday life. I played sports, I did well in school, went to college, all the typical things, right? That most people would say is normal. The problem with these labels are is we're diagnosing the symptoms. We're a very systematic or a symptomatic society where it's like, oh, you've got a cold. Now you want to take vitamin C. Now you want to eat healthy. And like you want to do everything after the diagnosis. Same thing with mental health is that we have these mental quote unquote mental health issues that we say are genetic or physiological or whatever the, the reason may be. But really, we're just labeling something that is that person. So like OCD, for example, for me shows up in my astrology charts. So like, so you're looking at the stars and the planetary system and you're basically saying based on when and where I was born, everything that I've ever had read to me astrologically, it says I'm an obsessive compulsive person. So for us to know that something is just a part of us instead of slapping a label on it and throwing a warning around it and having thoughts around that, that stigmatize people or make them stigmatize themselves, 
that creates more problems, that creates more issues, that creates more confusion, depression, anxiety on top of whatever else you've been diagnosed with or whatever else is going on. So that's the issue with that is, is, you know, the more labels you put on something without actually just accepting who you are and learning to navigate through that. And I think that's a huge, huge issue that we have with not only our education system, but our health system is that, you know, we're not teaching people about the mind. We're not teaching people about how to navigate their emotions. We're just saying, oh, this is what's wrong with you. This is what we're going to give you for that. You're going to deal with this the rest of your life. And that's what the label does. Yeah. And I, I, I noticed how you kept putting diagnosis in like the air quotes. Do you believe there's a, there's a problem within the system of identifying mental health issues? Do you think, because I, I would say a, a problem that I have, I don't believe I have any mental health issues. I haven't been diagnosed with anything, but I have a real big issue with people that have said they've been, that they have mental health issues, but they've never been diagnosed. And so there's, I think there's a lot of problems that are currently being seen in the mental health community. I'm just curious why you put mental health in air quotes like you did, or what problems that you might be seeing in that kind of space. Yeah, I think you hit it spot on like it goes both ways. So it's one, it's either like people are overly diagnosed, right? Because the big pharma and it's money, everything comes back to money. And I mean, even when I was recruiting, talking to all these pharmaceutical sales reps about how much incentives there was for the doctor to go with certain medicines and prescriptions and stuff, right? So that's one issue is that it's, it's money driven. So you're slapping these false labels on people just for a monetary gain. And then two, we're creating you know, symptoms and diagnosis is that don't like ADHD, let's go off that, right? And I'll probably use a dog analogy here and there just because of my dog training experience. And so don't think the further people listening, I'm comparing humans and dogs to a to 100%. But when you take a puppy, and you train that puppy a certain way. So when they're very young, they have a very short attention span. A, tra- a training session lasts like two minutes, right? It's all fun, positive, you're, you know, you're, you're rewarding all these things, right? Same thing with kids. But with kids, we're taking a child four or five, six years old, however old you are when you start preschool, kindergarten, sticking them this an environment that is the environment that's built for eight hour workday. And then we say, oh, this kid has ADHD. They can't pay attention. They have defiance disorder. They have anger issues. No, you're taking a child and creating more issues based on the environment, based on the teachings, based on all the exterior issues. And so you're creating more mental health issues within the sense there. And then to your other point, yes, like people will self-diagnose for one or two reasons. Like they're either telling themselves their own narrative, right? And what they truly perceive, they believe whether or not that's true or not. And the other part do have something, but they don't have the family or the environment that supports that. Luckily for me, my mom spotted the behavior really early on. Granted, mine was extreme, licking floors, washing my hands so they would bleed, like self-harm, doing crazy things. But I had a family that like recognized that. So other people may not, right? So they may know what's going on internally, but may not have that support system through family, friends, school, whatever that helps them in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so kind of going into what OCD is in the first place, because personally, I know that it's an obsessive compulsive disorder. That's really the bare minimum of what I should know or, or what I could know about it. So kind of what is OCD to you? And then what have you kind of learned through your OCD? Because I, I believe it's kind of different for everyone. But what's what, what's it kind of been to you? So biologically or physiologically, they say that it's one, a lack in serotonin. And then two, basically your brain creates like this feedback loop, right? So like, you know, I would be limited to the amount of questions I would ask in class, for example, because I had to have reassurance. So like, you know, I always made really 
did really well in school, made good grades, but I had to ask things multiple times. So either A, the teacher thought I was trying to be a clown or B, it was annoying them or C, they understood and knew about my diagnosis and, you know, just went along with it. So I'd raise my hand, ask a question to create that feedback loop almost to the point where you can't get something off your mind. So that's why, like when I had to lick the carpet floor three times, I could not get my mind off of that subject until I did it three times. So that's what the interesting part about obsessive compulsive is. And that's what most people, you know, that's where the label comes from, even with the show like Monk, right? It's like washing your hands or having to do things multiple times. It's that obsessiveness to the point that it creates a compulsion. So that's what it is as a whole. And that's really how it affected me. But I would get so obsessed over things, you know, or obsessed on the thoughts. And then I had to act on that compulsion for it, for that thought to be released. Or I would just obsess, 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 and just drive my myself into a hole from thinking, from thinking about something so much. Like I, at the time, at a certain age, and even later on until young adulthood, and up until I hit that depression, like there was a point where I thought I had a grasp on it. And then I, as I got older, I really didn't. It just was manifesting itself in different ways. It necessarily wasn't maybe looking at the carpet floor, but it was like going outside and you know, doing something or staring at something for like hours, you know, ridiculously like crazy stuff, like almost even stuff I'm even embarrassed to like share, you know, because it is embarrassing to a sense, especially if somebody doesn't understand. So it makes it hard for people to want to talk about, but that's kind of what it is and how it's manifested as a whole, I think for most people. And then how it has individually for me, just those obsessiveness and then having to act on those compulsions to release that thought. But that's, what's interesting about all this, right? Because I have gone my entire life without any medication. So there is a way to overcome these things. And, and like, like I said earlier, you know, you're not your thoughts, but it, it, it isn't easy at all. So don't, for the people that are listening, I don't, I'm not undermining people that take medication at all. I think medication does has its benefits, but is it a long-term solution? You know, that I don't agree with. Mm. That's that's interesting that you think it's it's not a long-term fix. But before we kind of go more into that, I definitely wanted to go into how your mom, you've always had a supportive family, you're saying you're not your thoughts, but how did that kind of transgress as you were in school? Did you ever feel like that mental health was a kind of declaration of who you are as a man? Did it ever make you feel less than, more than? Like, what was that in terms of being a mask for you in a, in a very your identity kind of sense? Yeah, man, that's a good question. Because for one, I didn't know who I was. Like I had so many masks on, you know, there's probably multiple on at a time for, because for one, I, I always did try to fit into a normal society, which I did, but there'd be like little cues and stuff that I would let slip or something would come up that was obvious, especially early on as a kid, you know, I got little nicknames like question mark and things like that. So like people knew something was a little different than me. And then most people just thought like, oh, maybe he's annoying. Maybe, you know, he's whatever. I wasn't somebody that didn't grasp information in school. So like it confused a lot of people because I didn't know who I was, man. I went through so many different phases and tried to be so many different things and try to like adhere to so much because I was so afraid to be myself because for one, I was trying so hard to fit in like a lot of young kids do. And then on top of that, I knew what was going on behind the scenes in my mind. So that made me feel quote unquote, even more crazier for lack of a better term. So I was like, man, I can't let this stuff get out. Like, you know, I'm already a little, I feel a little different and I never felt like, you know, I fit in my spacesuit or this avatar that I'm in. And so people always wrote it off. Oh, he's got a, you know, comes from a good family. He's, he plays sports, decent looking guy. Like, you know, kind of that, what, what does he have to be depressed about? So that definitely stopped me from sharing stuff too, because I'm like, 
nobody's going to listen to me for one. And half the thoughts that I'm thinking are really out there. You know, if I'll go up to somebody it's like, oh yeah, you know, I had to look at the sun or for three, three seconds, or I had to like go and check this for 10 times or, you know, try to talk about these things. It's not something that usually goes over well, especially as a kid. Right. And, you know, with bullying and stuff going on. So it's almost like I put up these masks and protective shields to come off as this person, like nothing was wrong, but from doing that, it, it did the complete opposite almost. It threw me, you know, all out of alignment. Um, and I didn't know who I was probably until a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I, I like the po- point you made there about how just because you came from a middle class home or, you know, came from a good family, therefore you don't really have many problems. And that's something that's kind of really bugged me. And, a, and another reason why I even started having these types of conversations because it has always bugged me when people say, you know, straight white men don't get a seat at the table or men don't get a seat at the table because, you know, I will say we have had a large piece of the hierarchy puzzle or pie or whatever you want to call it for a large portion of our lives. And, you know, thank God that we're starting to share it or, you know, get it taken away from us because I think that is fair. I believe in equality and feminism. But I what one thing I one language I don't like in the whole argument is that straight white men aren't allowed to see the table. But as you kind of just alluded to yourself, you came from a good family. You still have these OCD issues that a lot of people struggle with. So I'm really interested in, in what your understanding or or kind of how you would address that in your day to life, day, daily life, or if you ever have come across that. Yeah, constantly, ma'am, because you know, my dad was a school teacher. My mom worked in the school system as well. And so she ended up quitting her job because, you know, my issues were so bad at the time and she felt like she needed to be home with me, which she probably did. She just became a stay at home mom. So again, kind of being on the surface of things, we never went without and, but we probably like, you know, we didn't have a lot of money at all. Like we were living paycheck to paycheck, but one of the, one of the things my mom did for better or worse is that, you know, she made sure we always had what we needed and maybe a little bit more. So we never went without anything necessarily. Um, and then we're always perceived kind of like you said as, you know, quote unquote normal. So I, I, I run into that a lot and I probably run into it now, you know, even more in a sense, just in a different realm because of everything shifting, you know, it, it makes it difficult because no fault to our own. And I don't want to just come out as like a conspiracy side with everything going on, but with everything going on, you know, the certain bloodlines have been running our world for a very long time and they happen to be, you know, white people typically. And so with that comes a lot of repercussions for us, no different than any other stereotype, right? You have a certain group of people that does something, the whole group gets marked as that stereotype, like, oh, this group is known for this, this group is known for that. So unfortunately, you know, it's been such a huge global impact for what white men have done to a lot of races and people. It's kind of like maybe the the shift that's happening is definitely needed. But it's almost like, you know, it's kind of like backfiring on us too, is like, it it goes back to the whole thing. Like, just because you are a a white male doesn't mean you can't be on the receiving end of racism or sexism or whatever, right? And so I think that's something people just need to be aware of is that, yes, man, there's some real shitty, like, white men out there that has like, screwed up nations, hands down, that has lived behind ego, that has lived behind mass, has ruled on nothing but power and control. Like they are evil people. I don't care what they look like. They just happen to act in the avatar of a white man. And just it's just something I think we just got to bear and, and try to show. And like, that's the thing for me is I always try to like show up even more authentically, probably more consciously when I am around somebody like 
of a different race or sex just to show like, hey, like not everybody's like this. Yeah. Now, I definitely agree with that too. And if someone does say like, you know, you're a straight white man, you don't have an opinion. It's like, no, I still do. I would agree that maybe doesn't have the same weight as yours, but there's still no one's voice should be silenced. And I would say that for, and I would say for different positions, whether it's politically, like, you know, I would say that someone of a middle-class suburban lifestyle shouldn't have the same weight in a conversation in terms of someone who grew up in a maybe more impoverished community or a more dangerous community because they have the different lived experiences. But that doesn't mean that the togetherness that can that can be brought out from that shouldn't be talked about or that different different opinions shouldn't be shared because once you do that that's when you kind of create a lot more separatism than you think and it's not really a people being left out of the conversation is what got us to ruling the world because we purposely left people out of the conversation so i don't think that type of recipe is a healthy one if you're trying to develop something better that still involves the greater good of all humans, if that makes any sense, I guess. Yeah, it does. And that's my biggest concern is that almost like with all this positive, with everything, there's a, there's a positive and a negative to everything in life, no matter what. But that's my only concern is that, you know, all this is going on, but then it's just going to create, it's going to go so strong that it creates more divide just in a different lens, you know? So it's like, there's a balance to everything. And that's, that's again, where I think whatever label you want to put on it, spirituality comes into places like it teaches balance you know you can look at that through you know Taoism, hinduism buddhism a lot of eastern philosophies seem to have been more mentally and spiritually soulfully advanced than these western societies are and you know a lot of our stuff has been so diluted but there's truth within within all these teachings and so with anything it's finding that balance and like you said having a balanced um way and i think that's what's going on now even with this coronavirus right there's kind of this wave and shift and just you know, as so above, so below, there's things going on that we can't see and there's things that we can see. So it's, it's an interesting time to be alive. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. And I, I definitely agree that balance is something that's important. And throughout this whole process of, you know, coming to terms with male masculinity and, and feminism, I think it is humbling a lot of men to see that we're not all that, which is, I think, overall a good thing as well. And then my only issue is that that kind of conversation just always, it only goes really two ways. Uh, people sit down and they try to understand and they work through it, or you would just push that someone to further further radicalism and, and hate. And that's what I never want to see. And then that's why I always will be like, I never want I never want to see hate and radicalized people. And so that's why I believe the conversation is is so important in the first place because I think that's exactly how, you know, people are are raised in hate or become hate is is because they they're they're trained to believe that if they ask questions, then they just get more hate and anger, which I think some people react differently to that. I think some people react in a very, you know, I'm, I'm humbled. Let me try to understand. And others react in a, now I hate you even more. And that's not a good way to react, but it's also not a good way to address the situation in the first place being from a point of attack. Yeah. And, and just like we talked about with mental health, like everything you just said too, is like symptoms, right? Like symptoms, like all this hate and action and how you treat somebody, it's all symptoms of an underlying cause. So when we take it a, a step deeper, it's like, okay, how can we really, again, going back to ourselves, how can we really get to know ourselves? And really the ultimate thing I've learned in my life is not attach ourselves to beliefs so easily. I know that may be a curveball out of nowhere, but what you just said tied perfectly into this is that once we start attaching ourselves to beliefs to the point that we think 
you know, we've got it figured out or they're right. You know, just like I was saying earlier, like with the whole Christian atheist thing, we don't really know anything. You know, you know what I'm saying? So all we, all we really know is what we can perceive. And really we kind of got to come to terms with questioning our perception sometimes because there's so many different perspectives with different people and animals and just different life in general. And there's really so much of the world that we can't see that is factually going on that we just can't perceive. And that's, we only, I can't remember the exact number, so I don't want to say a quote and not know the exact number, but there's only a small percent of things we actually can take in and perceive. The majority of the world is as outside our, of our perception, which is super interesting. But again, I think it, it's attaching ourselves to a belief so much that we're willing to go to war for it, that we're willing to, to fight over it, or argue about it. Like there's not much of anything that I'm willing to, at this point, even talk to debate about because Hey man, like I, somebody may say something may shift my whole train of thought. I'm like, oh, you know what? Like I'm, I'm pretty much just open to understanding what I do know is truth is what you feel. And you, that's when your intuition and all that kicks in. But yeah, I, I like that. I like that quote that you just mentioned about, or not even that quote, I guess that idea of, of believing too much in beliefs, right? As you said that I thought I would die for people. I wouldn't die for a belief. Like I'm not going to lay on my sword because I think one way politically versus another way politically, but I will believe, like I will die for a friend or a loved one who I'm like, you know, this is something that I have, this is a human being that I will protect. But like you said, there's so much about the earth and the world that we don't know. And that's why, you know, when people lean too far left or lean too far right, I'm like, most of these conversations are very human centric conversations that we can literally take out Take out all ideologies and ask yourself, if there was a loved one that you had in your life that was going through this problem, what would you do? And if that problem is not help them or save them, then your belief system is is so biased to you and your belief right now. And it's so like almost not believing about the human is, is a very privileged stance of how, which is why like like left-leaning people, I, I I empathize a lot more with them because typically they are more, they can be more human-centric in their approach. But at the same time, they they fight in a non-human-centric way at times. I'm like, you guys, like it, it's very divisive, divisive in how it all works. And I, I, like I talk, I talked about this a lot in in fourth year university with my with my professors uh, about the approach of of all that uh, politically. But I, whenever it comes down to a political sense, I just ask them like, what would you do? If your friend was in the situation, like what would you want available? Would you want them to go to jail or would you not want to? Almost every single time they'll say, I don't want them to go to jail. At the same time, I believe that there's repercussions for your actions. But this, like, if, it's, if it doesn't f- flow logically, that repercussion, then I'm like, you need to understand that you are trusting too much in an ideology rather than the person that you want to fight for. Mm. Yeah. Because I think at our core, man, we all want the same thing, no matter what. We all want to feel love. We all want to show and express love. And really, we just all want to sense this freedom. And, you know, I hate to tell some people this, but basically, like, everything we've been told our entire lives has almost been an, a lie or an illusion. And I think that's part of the undoing and unlearning because society puts so much, you know, imprints so much onto us. The news does it. Society does it. Our school system does it that we have to unlearn all these things to then learn not only who we were, but then to act in society in a new way. And then, you know, it's kind of that alluding to that whole awakening, right. Or exiting the the matrix is that, you know, once you start kind of getting your head above water and you start realizing that all these things have been a lie, you know, even things like with politics, right. Is that 
even our own government sometimes. Because if I once I when I when I did pay attention to politics, I don't now, which you know has its pros and cons, right? Because we still want to fight for our freedoms and our rights. You know, I would I would have labeled myself quote unquote as a libertarian. The only reason I would have said a libertarian is because it was typically like they can be a little extreme, but like look, I don't want the government involved in anything. I want you know have things fair. My biggest thing was keep the government out of whatever you're doing. But as far as that goes, it, it even extends past. Like I can see both sides of the spectrum. Like, sure, I want everybody to be able to have health care in some way, shape, or form. I think that's everybody's God-given right to at least be able to to go out and to evenly provide for themselves. Because you look at nature of the wild, and if we just automatically shifted to, to back then, like, look, then it's all just fair game. It's who can fight and survive and, and figure out like mentally and physically what to do. So same thing, right? Just our back to like you said earlier is like even with the races being divided we've been so divided and the the game and the playing board has been shifted so many times it's just it's just a mess at this point but what's happening now is all these things are being exposed that's one thing this coronavirus is doing whether it has negative intentions or not whether it was created man-made or not who knows right but what we do know is there's change and so if we can all focus on that positive change i think we can really make an impact because i think especially as people, you know, even, you know, men too, that we have such a focus on what we don't want to happen when really we need to shift our consciousness and focus to what we do want to happen. And that's how things manifest and form. Mm -hmm. And so do you believe in, in manifestation and, and what your thoughts are, what the life you build and that kind of thing? Yeah, man, I do. And, and that's kind of the biggest pill for people to swallow, to know that you've created your entire life. You know, if I were to form this in a belief, my thoughts are at least on this journey so far is that I think there is some sort of divine creator, you know, right? And then through what we label as the Big Bang, there's a lot of like teachings and deep root things to that. Uh, the Kabbalion has like this tree or something that kind of really explains it really well. I'm starting to look into some stuff there, but it goes through the Big Bang and the phases and how many millions of years, like something consciously created this life that we're a part of. So I, I kind of think that we all come from this one main source. And from that one main source, we are gods. You know, we are kind of like gods. Like we are God, you know, we are it. But we're just different souls living through different experiences to experience itself. So having that godlike characteristic and, and, and stemming from a creation or being a part or being God or the universe or whatever you want to label it as, again, it goes all back to labels and word choice, words get us in trouble because we, you know, it's words. That's why silence answers a lot of things. We have powers. We have manifestation powers. We have telepathy powers. We have, I mean, the list can go on. And that's where it gets really interesting because you, you see different people at different parts of their journey. Because I think we reincarnate. I don't think this is the only ride we get. So our souls go through many journeys. And these journeys are to really come back and improve our soul itself. And then through that improvement, improves the, the collective consciousness in the world. So yes, I, as a long-winded answer, I do believe in manifestation and have been consciously trying to work on that. And manifestation is a lot of things for a lot of people, but it tends to come down to the more you're in alignment, meaning the more that you are following your true life path. Because I think before we come to this earth, we kind of like lay out a game plan. And a lot of religions and history will tell you these things. We kind of like Christianity is about the only one that doesn't mention reincarnation, but all the other religions do. So once we do come back and kind of have laid this game plan out, we're able to kind of follow our own breadcrumbs. 
that's why what resonates with me may not resonate with you, right? And, and, and vice versa and for everybody else. So we all have our own clues that resonate. So like, I may not like meditation, but Bob does. And that's how he finds his, you know, whatever, whatever path. It's all like a maze and through different paths in that maze, we can still find the center, even if we go completely different ways. So manifestation in itself, I think has to come from alignment, being aligned with who it is we actually are and being on the right path. And then just channeling that energy, like everything's energy, man, energy and frequency. Like, you know, you can see that and even science, you know, with quantum physics, they, that's kind of blown the top off a lot of people that were so science oriented. They see quantum physics with the split slit test. I would definitely highly recommend for you to check that out. And the listeners check that out. If you haven't already quantum physics and the split on uh, the slit experiment, how, whatever it was labeled as it shows that matter and energy is neither a wave nor a particle. It's both. Cause then you have something called the observer effect when they would observe the particle going through the slit, like it would come out as waves in some parts, right? It would hit the back end like a wave would. In other parts, when they would put cameras specifically on a certain part, it would change the way it behaved and started acting as a particle and would hit the, the back end as a dot and as opposed to a wave. So through science, basically science is catching up with a lot of what the esoteric teachings and the gurus and the monks and the religious teachers have taught for since the beginning. And, but as people, we've got to kind of see it to believe it type of deal. So that's um, a big chunk of that. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's interesting that you brought that up because I've never really thought that for the most part, science and religion are that separate in terms – like I don't really believe that – like religious people always try to disprove science or, or say that science doesn't align with religion. And scientists always say that science is the proof or it's trying to prove that there's no religion or there's no proof of religion in science. To me, they go pretty hand in hand in what they prove and disprove it from like, and I don't, I've never really understood the battle that the two have when they could just use each other for like, I don't like the idea of religious scientists because I think if that affects your hypothesis. So I do agree with science on that, but, or I disagree with the intention behind trying to prove a religious point through science. But I feel like science at never at any point hasn't really done too much to disprove the idea that there is a higher being or, or the, the potential existence of it. Because you can't prove, you obviously can't disprove a negative, and so I, I understand that argument. But I've never really understood the whole why they hate each other so much. To me, it comes down as simple as this: like this pen I have in my hand, like me and you are both looking and talking about the same pen, but you may say it in a different language than I do. I may have a Mac, you may have a PC. They may process things differently, but it's the same computer. It's the same internet browser. So, same thing with religion and science is that as people. Science is the lens and the test and the hypothesis that we use and utilize to understand what's going on around us. So it's still the same thing. We're talking about the same thing. The only differentiator is, is there a creator or not? That's really all it comes down to. And that's where the divide comes from. But when it comes down to as far as observing, then science is only looking to process and understand the world around us where religion does the same thing or spirituality or whatever just it doesn't rely on data or tools in the sense it may use the human being as a tool. It may use intuition as a tool. It may use the data process through us as tools. So it's the same concepts. And that's why it's another silly divide that our society and world has created because we're all talking about the same thing. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's definitely 
a great way of, of putting how those two are separate. And I've never, never thought about that. So I really like that. Um, but I want to kind of go back way back to the point where we were talking about the differences of, of men almost and, and how the straight white male conversation, because I, I really want to go deeper in, into that, not so much more into the actual context of it, but in, in we discussed the importance of men sharing with men. And I think that also goes to men calling out men or men being voices in other men's life to say, you know, you know, this is not a good belief that you have, or this is not something that is healthy, or this is not like, I, I remember one of the biggest reasons why I even started this podcast is because I was in a room of like seven guys. And I said that I believe that feminism is right. And they were all trying to disprove feminism to me. And I just stood there and I, I didn't get angry. I didn't get emotional. They came to me with like red pill incel conversations and, and some Jordan Peters, some Jordan Peterson stuff. And I was just like, listen, I, I kind of just use the same, the, the same uh, belief that I, that I talked about hu- earlier is like human centric conversations. Would you want your sister to go through this? Would you want your mom to go through this? Um, Because I believe once you get personal, that's when you can really hone in on on the intents of that person or or what that person's true values could be. But I, I really want to go into the importance of calling men out, having those conversations with young men and men in general, uh, because we've talked about it before, and I definitely wanted to hear your opinion on that. So that's why I've kind of, I do what I do now. My coaching tends to be more around men just because I mean, I think women like to be coached by women and men like to be coached by men sometimes. Like, I still think, you know, it's, it's easy for me to, to coach or work with a woman and I've had women reach out. But to your point, it's very important for us to kind of like tap the other man on the shoulder and be like, basically, like, yo, like, what's up, man? Like, what are you doing? I think it's an accountability thing that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, too, is to, to, to showcase that, hey, not all men are the same. And that's it. That's a big thing too. Honestly, like, you know, one of my best friends since fifth grade is, was a black guy, he's a black guy. And so seeing that through his lens, the best I could from being around him, like even a lot of black men deal with a lot of mental health issues. But, but what I've seen in the black community sometimes is that usually a lot of black folks are good about holding each other accountable sometimes, maybe in the wrong sense at times, like all cultures do. But that's something I think, you know, if we're, if we are talking specifics in my eyes that, that white men don't do enough of is, is to hold kind of one another as a group accountable. Cause there's nothing wrong with that. Cause if we can come together for the wrong reasons, let's use something as extreme as the KKK, right? If we can come together as white men for something as silly as that, then why can't we come together as something as important as this and hold each other accountable? You know what I'm saying? So I think that's, that's something highly important, no matter because I, I even want to get away from the whole racing because that's another conversation too I could go on about the, the illusion behind that. But to to the point of men in general, like we've got to be like, hey man, like what's going on? And we've got to get past this whole, oh man, I'm a man. I can't show emotions. And that goes back to archetypes. That goes back to patterns. That goes back to how we were raised. Fortunately enough for me, like I grew up in a family where like it was okay for that. My dad isn't the most masculine guy, you know what I'm saying? So it's it's one of those things that we're both taught and then society teaches us. Cause man, like even as me, like for me, I'm I'm a pretty emotional guy to be quote unquote a man. That's the whole thing with with men, right? We're supposed to uh, balance that masculine and feminine energy. We we have both. Same thing with women. We're supposed to balance that masculine and feminine energy. That's why it's funny those guys, you know, refer to Jordan Peterson because if I remember correctly, I think his whole stance was like 
biologically there is a difference and there is, but there's pros and cons that we all have. It's again, it goes back to something as simple as balance. There's things women can do that shits on what men can do and vice versa. It's just how it's the avatar that we're in. It's these bodies that we're operating in. Right. But that doesn't take anything away from the soul, the soul itself, the, the pure human consciousness should be able to see past these bodies and labels and races and colors and size and shapes that we're in. You know, it's almost elementary that we're in 2020 and still talking about these things, you know, but it's so much that was done wrong. It's so much undoing that we're having to do now on such a mass level. So if we're trying to go within and undo all this stuff as a man on an individual level that takes years, imagine what we're trying to go and undo now globally. So yes, men need to tap each other on the shoulder and I avoid sitting there saying, punching each other in the arm or something. Because like, again, as men, we tend to want to resort to violence or something physical to to basically like puff our chest out, right? Because I, look, I've been there, man. I, I was a dude that was, at the gym every day. I was a dude that played sports and all that stuff. And so I saw and felt at times through those lenses, but I always felt like something was off. Like, why are we acting this way? Well, it's almost barbaric. There were certain times in history where it was needed, but we're at a time now where <laughs> we've got every bit of technology and everything we need to really step back and say, hey, do we do we got to resort? Because do we got to resort to like fighting as soon as something goes down? Do we got to resort to like, you know, throwing a blow at somebody? Like, can men not talk to each other? And that's that's really the big problem is that you know men don't feel comfortable showing their emotions let alone sharing it with another man so it's time we start holding each other accountable and expect better i think is like you know when you like you did with your those guys man i think that was great because most men wouldn't have done that regardless of what the topic's about but just saying hey like why why are you guys thinking this way why are you guys acting this way you know what about this and chances are you won't change that person's perspective but at least make an impact and so making that impact creates a ripple effect. Exactly. I saw that it made an impact because I remember, so I had that conversation, I think two, two and a half years ago, but it was about a year after and even four months after that, a lot of the guys that I spoke to or had that conversation with, they said that was the most impactful conversation that they had all year. That was a, that was a conversation that they remembered because one, I didn't get angry. So like not getting angry when they were getting like pretty, pretty hyped up. They were, they were younger guys. I was like three or four years older. Um, They were like people I kind of lived with in a, in a sense in university. And so I was kind of like a mentor to them and, and, and leading in that way. But I remember having that conversation. They were kind of getting hyper and amped up being like, why are you not seeing it this way? And I was just like calm in my approach. And that stood out to a lot of the, the guys in the room. And then a conversation I had a year and a half later with some of them is like, they remember that conversation, the ones that were Jordan Peterson and like reading a Reddit kind of to get their, their opinions on things. They were like, you know, that Luke, that conversation that we had, it really stuck out to me. And it's something that now I, I'm, I'm like, I'm not ready to call myself a feminist, but I understand their, their stance a bit more. And it can be really hard. Like this was like a very simple conversation to me because I have two sisters. I have a mom, like not saying that's the reason I'm a, I'm a feminist. I just believe it. A lot of my friends are, are females. So I understand their point of view. And I know that as a guy, it can be really easy to be in a work environment than it is girls, especially if it's sales. But also I was just like, I was just kind of blown away by that was the, the conversation that they, they saw sticking out to them the most throughout the entire year. And I'm like, oh, I do have an impact by what I say to young men. And I didn't take the most favorable position in a room that I think I was outweighed by people that were kind of like not anti-feminist but like didn't really get it versus me the feminist 
And it's not always easy to have those conversations with people. It's not always easy to stand up with your beliefs, but people respect you when you do. And because of that respect, because of the way you handle yourself, you can change a lot of opinions. And I I just wish more men were doing that even in their day-to-day life. Like we all mess up. We all talk about you know, girls sometimes not in the best way or women in the, in the not best way, I should say. That's something that we have to hold ourselves accountable to. That's something that we have to call each other out for. Because I think, I don't ever think our intent is really to be crass and rude in a way that's diminishing. It's just we get an audience and we want to perform for them at times. And that's one of the masks. Like you even use the Shakespeare, like being an actor, like, yes, we're acting for ourselves so we wear those masks to hide but we also wear those masks to perform for other people uh and that's something that we have to do as men to call people out like you know brock the brock turners of the world or those athletes that are able to get away with a lot because of their status or because they feel like they have to get protected when there's things that happen because of your actions there's there's certain measures and, and accountabilities that you have to hold yeah it's it's a lot of lot of undoing and then it just takes unique conversations because it stuck out for them because you know how many other conversations throughout the years that they probably have like that you know what i'm saying so it's it becomes one of those things that's so rare that regardless if they agreed or not that you're like wow you know i I remember that because it stuck out so much because nothing else like that had happened you know they went on with their lives and how they're life paths and things should go. So yeah, it's, it's something that's interesting because I'm seeing a lot more, you know, men coaches come up and the conversation and even I've gotten, you know, some big blowback from some women, you know, I I get a lot, I get a ton of support, but I've had the kind of the outliers of women like, well, what about us? You know? And I'm like, look, it's, it's never an us or them or we and you. It's like, I'm just trying to do my part to serve this group specifically only because that's the best lens I know. You know, I could do the same for women, but I would almost be doing a disservice because I can't fully speak as a woman. I can embrace my, you know, feminine energy and the things I've learned, but I, I don't embody that energy in this world. So I can't fully speak on it. So, you know, like me sit standing up and speaking 100% on something that has to do with a certain race, right? Like I can only speak to what I've been exposed to and what I'm able to understand and grasp, but I haven't lived it. That's like with the mental health thing, right? That's like somebody's tell, coming to me and saying, oh, let me tell you about this, this, and this, but have never experienced it themselves. And that goes back to, again, what we talked about wanting to repress and things because it's like alienated to the point where it's like, you know, you're going to have people come to you and 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 tell you these things that aren't true or, or, or write you off completely. And that just goes back to knowing yourself. And the more you can know yourself, the more you can help other men and help others. Yeah, exactly. And I loved what you said there because I've had the same sort of conversations with some women in my life about, oh, why it's sexist to have a podcast about masculinity and manhood. I'm like, how that doesn't make any sense because I think there's there's an importance of male spaces and all female spaces. I think it's important to have these conversations. And one thing I want to do better at is having more women on my podcast because I think a lot of men can understand what how they can be better men by understanding and hearing from women in their lives. But women, like women can contribute to this conversation and I have to do a better job of, of finding ways for them to do it, but it is not sexist. Yeah. I'd be curious how to tie that in. Cause I think like we've talked about before, what you're doing and the message is great and it's much needed because there's not a lot out there. It's popping up more. And so that's, that just comes from anything that typically happens, like something like that, right? It's something I can't, I hate to keep beating a dead horse, but that's something inward that's go, 
that's going on with that woman, for example, right? And she's reflecting that onto you or she's projecting that onto you and your reflection of her internal dialogue or issue going on. So she'll see something in you that triggers something that's really going on in her. So if you think about that, like most of the things that we have to happen, it's all clues. It goes back to the ask so above, so below. It's one of the seven hermetic principles, the universal laws. And so when we look at these things, you know, it's, it's, it's as so outside, so inside, it's the, it's the opposite. So same thing, when we see something about somebody that triggers us, chances are that's something about ourselves that we don't like or something that's like alluding to something else. Yeah, fully agree. And and for like, I guess some reference, like I've, one thing that I really want to do is have women on who are in male focused industries. Like I've had Amanda Huffman on and she, she was in the military. So like, that's something really cool that I, I explored. I've also seen this, this lawyer who actually has defended, she defends fathers in justice and like in divorce cases. And she would have a really interesting perspective on fatherhood and masculinity and manhood as well throughout that process. So there are ways to tie it in. There's there's writers who have been in locker rooms of men. And so I definitely want to have them in the conversation. And, and to me, it always annoys me that 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 claim comes across that it's sexist to have a podcast for men. But I'm like, this is, again, like we talked about before, I think even recording was, this is just as much for women as it can be for men. If if you take the time to listen, and if you took the time to understand, I think, that, like, as you said just now too, I can't do a lot for the women and femininity culture or conversation because I'm not a woman and I'm not that way, but I can do a lot. My My goal is to help men be less toxic if that's like I don't like the word toxic to show up more in their relationships and communicate better and to really understand who they are to to decrease the amount of unhealthy ways that they show and express toxic toxic masculinity or, or their manhood so in, in a lot of ways I am on most women's side I'm not on the side of a lot of men like I I'm not seen as good because of the angle that I take so therefore it cannot be sexist or I don't know. That's that just annoys me. Like, as you said, <laughs> no, the outside perspective also always helps. Like we can help women just as much as, you know, it, it works both ways for sure. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. But um, Lee, I, I think that's uh, kind of the, all the, the points I definitely wanted to, to talk to you about, but you know, w- the last question I always ask my guests is what is one piece of advice that you want to leave for the next generation of men? Just get, I just say, get to know yourself, just get to know, you, who are you? I'd, I'd say, ask yourself that question. You know, I'd say, get to know you. That's the biggest thing is, is to figure out who you are and express that no matter how weird or abnormal or against society or against the grain or unmasculine you may think it is. My one piece of advice was it just be get to know yourself, get to know yourself and try to get to know yourself as soon as possible. And because it's going to make the journey a little bit easier because the older you get, the more layers that get on top of that. So I look at it sometimes being 27, I'm like, man, like, oh, I've wasted so many years and et cetera. But in reality, like, I'm glad that I'm starting this process now, um, as opposed to maybe, you know, 57 or 67 or however later on, right? So to me, the in, in essence, the sooner the better. Um, you can go inward and, and just get to know who you are, what you enjoy. Um, the later, you know, you don't have to play catch up as much later on. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that answer. Just know yourself, 
Yeah, it's that simple. We, 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 we make things too difficult in life. It's, life's not as hard as it should be. You know, we don't have to sit here. Life's a gift. You know, we sit here and wonder how we got here and why us and how we're even alive. And those are the questions you should be asking yourself. And you're like, okay, if, if these things are this way and I'm fortunate enough to be breathing right now and regardless of what my beliefs are or what higher power religion, just start asking questions. That's one thing I, I, I really did take pride in myself on is that like I've always asked questions and I always will. That's why, you know, me and you both like podcasting, right? It's questions. So it's it's one of those things that, we should never stop doing because the minute we stop asking questions is the minute we start stop evolving, I think. And so we just start asking yourself those same questions. Just start asking questions about yourself and then you'll find the answer. We just lie to ourselves far too often. Yeah. And I love what you said there too. And, and it brings me back to this design quote. I think I saw it on a documentary once, which was it's the irony of simplicity is that it's a lot more complex to make simple than it is to make complex. Yeah, even that journey that you're on, if if like I don't know myself yet, I'm trying to learn myself through this podcast. So knowing yourself is definitely one of the longest journeys you'll ever probably take in your life. What's crazy is that, is that we do know ourselves and that's the whole dragon chasing the tail thing. And so it's always been there. And that's the hardest part. And that's the most mind blowing thing is because I'm like you too. I feel like I don't know myself fully either. And I'm on the journey of self-discovery, but it's that whole, that's where the whole symbolic dragon eating its tail comes from is that we do know, but we've forgotten. So I, I would recommend anybody listening, um, check out some of Alan Watts's work. It's very like simplistic, neutral way to start. That was a big, he was a big help in my life. You just listen to some, go to YouTube and type in Alan Watts. And that's um, a big, big help to like self-discovery and really just quieting the mind. Perfect. And then lead to leave it off. Where can people find you? What are you up to? Uh, how can people get in touch with you? I guess my biggest following is on LinkedIn. I do. I'm pretty active on there. I've taken a break from a lot of social media just to try to detach from technology for a while and just be present during all these moments. Um, but LinkedIn, you can just type in my name, Lee Everett, and that's Everett with an E on the end. And then my Instagram is the.obsessive.observer. Just try to make a, a play on the whole obsessive compulsive thing and just constantly observing and wanting to ask questions. Those are probably my two most active platforms. I haven't joined the TikTok gang and all that stuff quite yet, but I do try to post like thought provoking things and conversations and topics on both Instagram and LinkedIn. Uh, I don't have my coaching website up yet, um, but I do have my um, talent management website up. It's elevateavalon.com. So I was a former recruiter. I do talent management work. I help companies with their culture um, and I help companies recruit if need be. But my biggest thing is I help them improve their culture and help their recruitment process and their management and just ultimately how they look and, and treat candidates and employees. And then I do one-on-one -on -one coaching with folks and hopefully that website will be launched here in the next few months. Perfect. Well, Lee, thank you so much for joining me uh, on the Imperfect Podcast today. It was always great getting to talk to you and I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your, your thoughts on OCD, male conversations, definitely the straight white male and identity conversation. So thank you so much for, for joining me. Appreciate having me, brother. I definitely enjoy the conversation. Thank you everyone again so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, please leave a review on Apple 
subscribe put a follow if you're listening on spotify follow me on instagram at the imperfect pod let me know what you think about the episode i love to engage with my listeners and hear what you have to say and maybe even include topics that you really want to you know for me to explore deeper on this podcast as well i'm always looking to support the listener and um yeah just you know really happy today and i hope you are too and if you're not reach out to me and maybe we can have some honest discussions about that And I look forward to next week's episode. Peace.